Hi guys, this is Andy McDonald from the Informed Performance Podcast. On today's show, I have strength and conditioning coach, educator, and velocity-based training expert, Chris Toombs. Chris is very experienced as a coach, especially within the realms of power-based sports, and speaks very open and honestly about all things velocity-based training and strength and conditioning as a whole. Get episodes as soon as they are released and subscribe to us on iTunes or your preferred podcast player. And don't forget to check us out on Instagram at InformPerformance or on Twitter at InformPod. Now for the conversation with Chris. I hope you all enjoy it. Chris Toombs, uh, welcome to the show, mate. I'm really glad to get you on here today. Thanks very much. Really appreciate being invited. Um, just to kick off, could you tell the listeners a little bit about your background? Yeah, so do you want the short version or do you want the long version? I mean, I've basically been involved in the fitness industry and strength and conditioning for around, uh, not counting, but I think it's 24, 25 years. Um, studied human movement studies and sport and exercise science at Leeds Metropolitan University in, in uh, England, which is now um, Leeds Beckett. And from there, basically, took a journey to London to, um, to basically be a PT and, and to work in the private sector. And a speculative um, application back in 2002 saw me go to Leicester Tigers, the professional rugby team in England. And uh, yeah, lucky enough to work with those guys when England won the World Cup last. And uh, from there, went to Cardiff Blues and worked for the Cardiff Blues for nine years in various roles, mostly around um, basically strength and power prescription in the, in the first team and also some athletic development work in the academy. So quite a diverse role. Um, what was that? So that's nine, 11 years in, in professional rugby. Took a little turn and a little detour to, to America. Uh, my wife's American, so I've got, a, I've got a green card. And I, um, I went to work for an American company that were looking to develop uh, rugby in North America. And they just sat just underneath the sort of USA rugby banner. And I had a lot of exposure to some sevens athletes, one of whom went to the Rio Olympics in 2016. So that was a quite a nice coaching moment for me. Um, Bounced back across the pond to England and worked in um, in an English cricket team for one year. Transitioned out of that into academia, and I currently work at the University of South Wales, lecturing in strength and conditioning. And I do a a kind of consultancy role and a mentoring role at uh, one of the semi-professional rugby teams. And just, I guess, breaking news: I am now returning to the USA in 2020 to work in Major League Rugby and the professional rugby team, the Seattle Seawolves. So that's kind of the 25 years in a nutshell. And will you be coaching full-time in Seattle or will you be kind of consulting? Yeah, so back coaching. No, no, back coaching full-time. So, yeah, another another coaching opportunity for me, which is which is great. I won't lie to you. I've missed, I've missed that full-time coaching role over the last two or three years. So, um, yeah, really excited to immerse myself back into to coaching full-time and seeing where Major League Rugby can progress in the next sort of five, six years, I hope. You obviously, you know, you lecture, you um, you present on velocity-based training and um, you've coached a lot. Um, you've obviously got your ear to the ground. Where, What do you think strength coaches are doing well at the moment and where does the profession need to perhaps focus a bit more? Um, so, yeah, interesting question. Yeah, this one could be uh, quite fun. I guess the challenge is the comfort blanket that most people that I've come across in my kind of time as a, as a coach and also someone who's sort of interviewed and employed uh, young coaches, their comfort zone is without a shadow of a doubt the gym. Yeah. 
and the sort of strength and power elements and the delivery of those kind of services. And then when you come to the sort of field-based, especially in team sport, which is kind of the domain that I've largely been involved in, when it comes to delivering on field and in large numbers, the, the, the coaches are way less more and competent. So in terms of managing people, managing large numbers, and also managing to some degree the actual volumes and intensities required to to sort of provide the adaptation mechanism or at least the stimulus for that adaptation mechanism those are the things that they really struggle with and they're slightly less confident in you, you one-on-one in the gym is relatively easy you look you look at a, you know a forward pack in rugby or a or a, or a bunch of backs that you know 10 or 12 of them it's much much more difficult to um to sort of manage the people as opposed to manage the actual content so i think that'd be an area that i've seen over the well probably over the last 15 years or so and it's not necessarily changing anytime soon i think that's one of the focus areas for you know educators moving forward would be take the emphasis away from the comfort zone of the gym and add some layers of um, exposure to that field-based work and i think that's going to differentiate the best coaches from the from the also rands yeah that's really valuable and i'm guessing people you've mentioned the educators need to focus on that and i guess um, up-and-coming coaches need to get more coaching time with that in mind Absolutely. I think that's, again, that's a key. And that's one of the, the kind of stresses from um, us, especially at USW, would be that some of the people that we've spoken to in industry particularly are looking for the coach first and the academic second. And I think that's something that's to, to worth thinking about as well. And especially getting as much coaching um, exposure as possible at, at, at every level. And I think that's one of the big challenges we've got as, as educators and as, as slightly more kind of senior coaches is to really encourage young coaches to volunteer i know it's difficult everyone wants to get to the top jobs as quickly as possible but one of the fastest ways to like i say steal a march on your competition is to get out there in your undergraduate studies and coach as much as you can alongside your your kind of theoretical learning and your application on Mm. alongside it and you're very well known for um educating and using velocity-based training um i'm curious how did you initially get into that not as a as a teacher but as a you know just as a training tool yeah so i guess i mean you've got to rewind yourself back to the sort of leicester tigers days where there was a lot of fairly decent players at that time and uh, the the kind of close um, alliance with i guess the england national program and one day one day i think leicester tigers took delivery of some some tendo units or some gym aware units i can't remember exactly which brand it was but um, yeah, we started messing around, I guess, in sort of pre-World Cup 2003, um, just working and looking at velocity-based training at that point in time and, and sort of looking at uh, how we could best optimize the player's preparation. And uh, yeah, from that, from that sort of moment on, I kind of immersed myself in, you know, developing strength and power in the gym using or at least helping integrate velocity-based uh, technology into that process. And I guess from that point of view, that's where kind of kind of my evolution started when it came to um like i say using technology to optimize the strength training process and and then yeah subsequently lend itself well to actually now delivering workshops in that in that sort of focal area it's not that new in the in the grand scheme of physical preparation i think you know dan baker who's probably one of the preeminent users of the tech is kind of been using the stuff since the 90s i think i'm i'm using the tech or have used the tech since the early 2000s and now it's becoming much more mainstream with its um accessibility to you know p- 
personal training markets, performance training markets, the devices that are being, you know, developed at this point in time are becoming that little bit cheaper than when I first started. And, you know, you're talking about buying a gym aware unit or a tender unit for about £2,000. Now you're buying technologies that kind of come in at £250 or $350. So it's accessible to more people, which I guess means there's access to more people using it, which is great for me because all we want to do, I guess, as practitioners is offer the best possible service to our to our athlete populations. And that's just one of the tools that can help us just be a little bit better at delivering high quality provision. So I guess it's not the uh, it's not the catch all, but it's also an important element to, um, I guess, layer training units on top of each other. And I know we can go into that a little bit more as we go. But it's um, like I say, I think I guess the best definition for me is it's, it's optimizing the, the training process through the uh, through the help of technology, not exclusively because of the technology. And I'm well, I'm optimistic that the strength conditioning listeners will will be very aware of velocity based training. Just in case there's some uh, some physios or some kind of wider um, performance personnel that are less familiar with it, could you kind of succinctly just explain the basics of what it is and why it's important? Um, yeah, I guess it, yeah, as briefly as possible. Um, velocity based training is is ultimately the use of um, the use of techni- technology to help inform your decision making around prescription of load it's about prescription of readiness there's um there's multiple there's multiple uses i guess and it's one of those things that we can go off on a tangent or we can talk for hours on you know what what it is and how many uses it's actually got but i think in in a nutshell it's kind of the the integration of technology to to manage readiness and to manage like i say the process of training in terms of prescription and volumes and um getting the intensities right when it comes to either an acute um dose of strength training or you know longitudinally the the sort of layering of doses on top of each other and there's obviously there's systems that um anchor to the floor or you know squat rack or cage and there's systems that you can wear and there's there's also camera based systems as well um how well do these different tools if you like calibrate with each other um, I think there's a there's a fair bit. Funnily enough, there's a fair bit of research going on in that area at the moment. I think you've got, um, I mean, for, yeah, the USW and um, you know my own kind of research uh, curiosities guiding me in that direction right now, actually, as it happens. But um, to answer your question, the linear position transducer, which is the the tethered unit, so the gym aware and the tender unit, predominantly the most two, the most popular two. Um, they they actually align pretty closely, and you've also got then the, the uh, accelerometers like push bands, and you've got the camera systems like Elite Form, for example. Um, there seems to be a little bit of difference between sort of the three methods, but ultimately, I think the the challenge we've got as practitioners is that if you are using a linear position transducer, and then you've also got access to say something like a, an accelerometer, like a push band is just to not kind of muddle and get some noise between alternating between units. It's to use use the same one and then use that as your guiding mechanism as opposed to bouncing between the technologies. I'm fortunate that I've got four or five different VBT technologies in the in the training building that I use, but that's because of my my interest in those in those um technologies. But also I'm just recognizing that if I use a push band to do um, sessions with a certain athlete population, I'll continue to use them. And I had extensive exposure to to Tendo units versus gym aware units, for example. So I'm much more comfortable in sort of recognizing what what looks accurate even to the to the naked eye between devices. But I think that's um, 
that's a fair bit of coach intuition over sort of 15 or 16 years of exposure to the tech. And, you know, without you kind of saying which brand you think people should pick, if, let's say, a team or an athlete wants to implement velocity-based training, um, do you look at what type of movement patterns they want to measure before you then recommend, for instance, what type of system they would integrate, whether it's an accelerometer or whether it's, you know, a tethered system? Um, yeah, there's lots. Of, I mean, it's one of those it depends moments. I think the reality, of it's about constraints and ultimately the constraint normally falls on finance. So the accelerometers are much more cost effective and the tethered units are generally a bit more expensive. So I guess the question is going to be um, in terms of finances, how much are you prepared to spend? How much do you want to spend? How much have you got to spend? And then there's also the portability. So I've got friends who use the uh, the push band, for example, and I have affiliation to them. I'll, I'll put that in as a disclaimer right now. Um, they're so portable. I mean, I'm thinking about I can't carry my tender unit through customs, for example, in uh, in two months time when I go to Seattle, because um, without being too controversial, it looks like a pipe bomb. So um, <laughs> the reality, the reality is that the push band is uh, the size of two matchboxes and it's pretty portable. And it's also um, it's a pretty accurate and re- valid and reliable system. So I guess it's about functionality that you want for it. It's about cost effectiveness. It's about what other um scope of practice and what other technologies you may or may not have access to within your performance program so i think there's a lot of questions to ask but um i've had a lot of uh personal satisfaction using the tendo unit and i've had a lot of personal satisfaction using the the push band and the push band 2.0 and the evolution of the accelerometry in the technology is making those kind of things much much more user friendly they've all got apps now associated with either the you know, the iPhone or the the Android phones. And in terms of the user interface and the user experience, I think all of the, all of the relevant technologies are becoming that much user-friendly or more user-friendly, which is inevitably what the end user wants. It's, can I just plug in and play with this technology? And the answer is probably yes with, with all of them. So I guess that's a bit of a fluffy answer, but um, there's a fair few. It depends, I guess, within that, within that scenario. No, it's good to get some context on it. Um, you, you know, you can obviously use these devices to prescribe perhaps a more accurate load. Um, how do you kind of use them to uh, monitor and influence load management, which is obviously a huge topic everybody's talking about a lot at the moment? Yeah, so I guess, again, it goes back to what other technologies and what other personnel have you got within your performance environment that may or may not help you inform your decision making on an athlete's readiness to train. But having something like a velocity-based training device in your in your uh, strength and power based training sessions for example i mean i start at the very start with um probably a, an unloaded dowel or very light um, pvc pipe for a, an unloaded counter movement jump and just track track the athlete's peak velocity using um a jump basically a jump squat counter movement jump and just track that over time and look at the peak scores on on that particular metric and just see where they where they lie on a day-to-day basis and where where that longitudinally will allow you to make some informed decision making on the athlete's sort of central nervous system and their neuromuscular fatigue levels readiness to train can be a little bit can be a good guide from that the um the secondary part of that would be to use um the technology to actually profile athletes across the full force velocity curve so you've got speed strength at one end you've got maximum strength at the other and you you're going to basically build a, a plot line between how fast they're moving low loads and how fast they're moving obviously their 
their loads at the uh, at the heavier end of the spectrum. And surprise, surprise, there's pretty much a, a sort of linear regression of R equals one between lifting heavy things slowly and lifting light things quickly and, and everything else in between. And, fr- and from that, you're then in a position to, in a, on a week by week basis, you're in a position to look at, um, for example, Example, fixed loads during warm-up sets to see where people's kind of velocities are with fixed loads and see whether you need to then adjust either up or down depending on that athlete's like I say physical preparedness for the for the day if you think about people like Brian Mann doing some really really good work in this space around sort of physiological readiness on any given day you're looking at potentially an 18 percent swing in um in a in a, in one rep max so that one rep max is always moving and on, and on any given day the depending on lots of different variables you're either in a you're either in a good place to to lift heavy or to lift fast or you're not and i guess you can make those decisions based off your your longitudinal data and your trend analysis on what certain athletes are doing with a fixed load on a week to week month to month even cycle to cycle basis so that's the kind of major uses to at the start of sessions and then i guess you're then using it between sets and you're using it as a kind of um initial um start point for the quality of your prescription set by set and i think that's one of the best things about velocity based training as far as i'm concerned is that you can actually micromanage the quality of each and every set depending on your training goals and basically and basically you're you are looking to protect your athletes from themselves at times and you're not wanting to take them too near um failure from a technical standpoint but also inevitably if you're getting guys missing lifts then there's that kind of carryover of central nervous system stress that you don't really want to kind of continually overload to a point where they either overreach or they end up getting injured or end up getting ill. So I think there's a nice uh, buffer using VBT and understanding the velocity zones of what physical quality, strength quality, particularly you're trying to develop. If you know what the sort of um, bandwidth is for um, bar speeds, you can then literally... Um, always protect their athlete from themselves and also I think the major benefit for me is that if you protect an athlete from themselves in an acute sense then in the terms of a a sort of more chronic accumulation of low sense you can actually get them to do more work over a longer period of time because you've kind of just held them back a little bit session by session but in the longitudinal sense they'll get more out of that uh, that whole training program as a whole. Yeah so you can kind of cook them rare and you know yeah. microdose them over time there's absolutely there's no point trashing an athlete if say for example you're asking someone into an easy example you're asking someone to do a five by five at uh 85 of one rep max on any given day five by five at 85 percent might be it might be 90 something percent of one rep max or it might be 70 percent of one rep max so on those days where that athlete is physically prepared and ready to go Give them the five by five and maximize that potential stimulus that you're providing. There's going to be days when you've got to modify that based off some of the velocity scores you're seeing. And like you say, rather than making them grind that five by five, you might just strip some of the volume out. It might be a five by three day. It might be a five by two day. And it might be that that intervention is going to allow you to just add these training units up against each other versus just like you say, just cooking them well done and then coming back on the, the following training session and being unable to complete the reps and sets that you've asked them to do. So it's about making judgments and, and providing interventions based off that objectivity that you're seeing in terms of how fast and how uh, how much intent those athletes are putting into those those reps when you're giving them a, a sort of 
uh, objective feedback marker as well, which is another real major benefit for me that you're actually seeing athletes giving you really high quality effort because every single rep is have is, has some level of um, accountability on it with what sort of numbers you're asking them to achieve. And that's kind of linked in with effort for me. And obviously then you can do some sort of subjective um marker alongside it like a session rp or even a set by set rp depending on how much time you've got to kind of um record keep and and, you know track various data points yeah well something i was quite interested about is you know if you're quite close to this if you're force profiling an athlete on a force plate you get um a display and some information on say the eccentric and the concentric phase of emotion um can a velocity based system give you that information as well or is it giving you total time for a repetition uh, it's, it's concentric concentric only is the is the kind of um the metric at the moment there are, are some of the systems that will um do some of the eccentric rate of force development stuff as well but for the most part these these devices are looking at uh peak velocity is looking at the fastest moment in time and it depends on the system but it can be as low as the fastest point or whatever one millisecond within the rep range and then obviously the mean score is the is the mean of the whole of the concentric range of motion. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm aware that you've toured a lot of facilities and um, you, you get around the strength conditioning community. Is there any really good or really innovative uh, examples of how people have implemented velocity-based training into their coaching or their um, their environment that you've seen? Um, I think for the most part, this is, this is a pretty vanilla answer, unfortunately. I think most of the people are really just dialing down into the the high quality um, compound exercises. They're not doing anything too innovative, too fancy. It's just literally maximizing that training stimulus in the time that they've got available with their athletes. And that's what is kind of the common theme that I'm picking up across the uh, the teams that I've um that I've obviously seen. And I guess if you can call it innovation, I guess it's just about doing the basics really, really well. And I think the the best teams that I've seen um, operationally use VBT are the guys who are managing the athletes loads really, really well. And I, I think they're managing the kind of um, the readiness and preparedness kind of equation really, really well within their programs by, by almost, yeah, taking their, taking their foot off the gas at, at the right times and putting their foot on the gas at the right time so that actually the the sort of longitudinal benefit is is coming out with guys being in the best possible shape to perform week in week out in their in their sort of competitive demands yeah um with a physio hat on i'm optimistic there's a segue to kind of rehab have you seen any um physio departments uh, you you know implementing velocity based training in their return to play uh, monitoring and processes um, I haven't seen any physios in that respect yet, which is, um, yeah, something that this is a good conversation for me to uh, to stimulate a bit of thought around who who in that sector may want to come and um, actually learn a bit more about this. I've had I've had sort of personal trainers come on the workshops that I deliver, and I've obviously had a lot of strength and conditioning coaches. But yeah, the physios the physios are an, an area where um, I need to explore it to be honest. So I appreciate you uh, you giving me a nudge in that area. I just I guess it's a bit like everything isn't it you've got so much integration of technology especially in performance sports teams that are that are professional in nature that a lot of people are integrating GPS in return to play for example but 
absolutely i mean velocity based training has its part to play in terms of um tissue loading and tissue quality and tissue readiness to um return back to high levels of of sport without a shadow of a doubt so it's uh it's certainly an area that can be uh focused on for future um future education without a shadow of a doubt yeah because i know um you know physios are, are now using force plates a lot in kind of um quantifying and identifying what does a an injured athlete need to achieve in that re, you know return to play process and sure that's you know historically been done on lower limb and ben ashworth's been doing it on the shoulder more recently um but i guess you know velocity based training especially the wearables are quite a convenient and easy way for a, a, a physio to kind of stick a device on someone and start to get some you know useful information in that process absolutely and i think that's one of the things that's key uh, the reality is, again, it goes back to what I talked about briefly in terms of actually protecting athletes from themselves, but also then dosing appropriately when it comes to actually getting some volume into athletes so that they are actually getting the development of the physical qualities required to then, like you say, return to performance and return to their sport. So with it, without a doubt, the objective markers and um, and the numbers can really, really help with when it comes to making good decisions when it comes to training prescription particularly. Yeah. Um, have you got any kind of courses coming up or what have you got coming up in the pipeline that listeners should be aware of? Um, yeah, so I guess I'm quite fortunate that, like I say, I've been involved with this, uh, with this type of technology for, yeah, going on 15 years, I guess. I think, um, I've aligned with push bands and Dan Baker's VBT course, which has been built out of, um, of Toronto in Canada where push originates. And, um, yeah, my, my kind of key educational kind of concerns and, and, um, and course is a, a run out of a run out of the alignment with uh, with those two um, people and organisations. So uh, yeah, I haven't got any coming up uh, in the near future because of my kind of changing circumstances regarding my my new role. But I uh, will be without a shadow of a doubt looking at some stateside uh, venues to deliver some VBT workshops come uh, well January through June next year, and then without doubt between June and uh, June and december of uh, 2020 i'll be doing some more in the in the uk marketplace but um andrew i've got to admit i, I do thank you for stimulating some thought around uh, integrating it with the physios and um opening the marketplace up even wider appreciate that thank you <laughs> no problem and um right, brilliant. what are your social media handles for you know people to follow your journey to the states and just keep up to date with you I'm I'm very original, mate. I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram. I use Instagram slightly less, but actually I do um I do promote the the courses through that relatively heavily when I am in the in the kind of sales mode, I suppose. Chris Toom seventy one, very original. Cool, that's easy for people to uh, for for them to find. And is there any resources that you'd recommend people uh, turn to at the moment? Anything that you're seeing trending or worth a look at? Um, in terms of the VBT space. Uh, yeah, or anything. Um. I mean, it's great that it's growing. I mean, like I say, I've got I have got an affiliation with with Push, and they've just literally today um, launched their Android app to uh, enable you to use the the Push Band with Android as well as Apple products. Um, there's a ton of stuff going on. It's evolving. It is evolving. I think there's a couple of other um, Push competitors that are in the same kind of space price wise. Um, more and more, again, like we I think we touched on it briefly. More and more research is needed in this area to to actually start to engage the majority of coaches to, to to sort of I guess share the share the experience of those who are slightly more more um, in tune with how valuable this tech can be and how impactful the tech can be, and I think um, it should be a it should be um, an area of focus for for a lot of 
coaches, especially with those who have kind of been exposed to sport coaches, particularly who train their their players with relatively high volumes. It just allows you to make those really good decisions when it comes to actually how much volume is enough to um, to drive that stimulus and adaptation process when it comes to, you know, how much do you really need to do in the gym today? And I think those are the kind of questions we need to ask ourselves as coaches. And sometimes it's about taking the, like I say, taking a bit of the, the content out of our programs. But if you do that, it does mean that every single rep can count. And if you're good at prescribing load off the back of velocity-based zones, you get the quality output that you need. And I think Harry Dorrell, who's based at Lincolnshire in the UK, has done some great work regarding um, basically doing half as much work using VBT, but getting the same output. And I think that just allows the player, especially if you're talking about it from a from a team sport perspective, it allows the player to work more on their weaknesses or or develop their their skills outside of the gym, which ultimately is going to have the transfer onto the gym, onto the onto the field of play. And I think that's where like i said at the front end of this this podcast that you know my own personal evolution has been about thinking a bit bigger than just sets and reps and and uh, strength and power that was where i had my kind of most success i guess but i've also evolved to think about the player as a whole and not just as, as the player as an athlete so i guess that's the kind of underlying take-home message for me it's like every single piece of this jigsaw puzzle um dovetails together to to sort of get the outcome that you need I guess, yeah, load for load's sake is pointless. What you want is the actual loads that are giving you adaptation and a return. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's it. Return on investment, brilliant. And if you can do half the work and get the same level of result, why do the extra bit of work? Because it's just eating into your ability to recover and ability to then train again or play again the next day or the day after or the day after, how, wherever your competitive schedule may may sit. So that's, that's kind of where we're at with it. But, um, yeah, I am. Um, I think it's evolving. There's plenty of technologies that are um, being sold on the internet, as we both know. But um, yeah, VBT has has value without a shadow of a doubt, and it has um, it has versatility. If it's, if you're limited with other with other technologies that you uh, you may or may not have available to you. Well, Chris, thank you. Um, thanks so much for that masterclass on velocity based training. Um, I'm probably going to have to play that back a few times to myself to get some of those pearls of wisdom into my head but um yeah i really appreciated that it was a good it was a good conversation from you no problem that's great i appreciate you inviting me thanks for having me thank you very much i'd like to thank chris for coming on the show and deconstructing vbt for us today as usual i'll include links to anyone or anything mentioned in our conversation which you'll be able to find at informperformance.com Thanks for listening to the Informed Performance Podcast and don't forget to follow us on social media or subscribe to the show to receive new episodes and regular updates.